BNQ Halloween special. <laughs> Spooky. Last year we did, we delved into the treehouse of horror in Springfield. And this year we're keeping it in the Fox realm in two ways. You see, we're discussing a show that was on Fox featuring a character named Fox. <laughs> Today we're discussing the X-Files, obviously. And before we start, trust no one in the episode. Just let, putting that out there right now, trust no one. Uh, joining me today on the show, we have Lee. Welcome, Lee, for the first time to be in queue. Thank you, Josh, for having me. The biggest X-Files fan I know, so you are ready to get into the show. Uh, but, of course, we have a special guest a and fellow podcaster from the Rumor Flies podcast. Welcome, Greg, to Big Nerdy Headquarters. Greetings. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the Rumor Flies podcast. Sure thing. Um, so Rumor Flies is a uh, – we explain and research the origins and veracity of your favorite rumors, myths, and legends. So we basically are somewhere between Snopes and Mythbusters. We uh, – but, you know, far less uh, credentialed. <laughs> <laughs> you probably so have more credentials than the new Mythbusters, but that's a different show. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so – you guys are out of New Orleans, yes, uh, which is one of my favorite cities. I love beignets, and you can probably tell. <laughs> They're amazing. Uh, uh, but what, what's your favorite New Orleans myth? Ooh, ooh. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of fun. We haven't covered this yet, but a lot of stuff about, around, like, there's a lot of haunting stuff, so like La Lori Mansion, which is unfortunately a very true story of a abusive slave owner. Um, they found all of her slaves after the house burned down and they died. Um, and like basically like a just house of horrors, but there's a lot of myths about like why she was doing it. And if you've seen American horror story, they dramatize her as using the blood from people to keep herself perpetually young. Um, but there's also stuff about Marie Laveau, who was the voodoo queen of, um, well, the queen of voodoo. Sorry. Yeah. And just a bunch of like crazy stories like that. It's just, just a city with a lot of, uh, character, and just intrigue in some ways and very interesting history. You know, it's one of the older cities in the U.S. You've with got a, a very interesting for all those legends down there. You know, up here in North oh, yeah. Carolina, we've got a few. We've got, the Lost Colony is really our mystery claim to fame. Which, uh, I mean, hey, it's, I mean, what American doesn't know about Roanoke? I mean, that's pretty. Also on American Horror Story. <laughs> yeah, I, was, uh, I, I, I didn't see that one, unfortunately, but uh, I, I mean, I'm assuming it was good. I don't know. I, I didn't watch it myself uh, because I know too much about the real story, and the whole time I'd be like, no, that's not true. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's our claim to urban legend fame. Uh, but yeah, it's a fantastic show. Where can people go find Rumor Flies? Because they, they're going to want to after this episode. Uh, yeah, so um, we... Uh, we're at rumorfliespodcast.com and we're on basically every major po uh, podcasting app. We're on social medias at rumorflies. You know, if you Google rumorflies, it's us. I've worked very hard to make that the case. So if that's not the case, uh, that's, yeah, then I'm going to be very angry. But you should be able to find us pretty easily. Uh, big red logo with black faces on it and, uh, whispering into an ear. So it's, uh, yeah, uh, check us out, please. We, we work hard and love doing the show. And if you don't mind, is it is okay if I mention? I, I just I, you normally wouldn't do this, but the other show I produce I think might be very much relevant to your listener base as well. Please do. Uh, yeah, Jacks of Trades. It's a it's a comic book review show. Uh, my buddies Mike and Davis host it. Uh, they they go into an incredibly in depth analysis of um, 
once a month it's a full trade or arc or graphic novel and once a month they're doing an issue by issue so they're alternating every two weeks between an individual issue of something currently going or some book or trade that has been released already uh they do a lot of review of it um write a lot of blog posts now it's a really fun show and i think they do really quality work that uh I think just the amount of research and time and effort they put in really shows. So hopefully if y'all like comic books and really like going yes. into <laughs> in-depth analysis of your favorite trades or curious about current issues, I think that would be a good stop for all of you. We definitely after, want to check it out. Course, my, uh, my, co-host, <laughs> my typical co-host Matt is a huge comic book person. Uh, he uh, ha- at one point had a collection of like all of the early Fantastic Four uh, so he is definitely the person that will, I mean, all of us love comics, but he is the comics expert on the B and Q uh, panel. So I will make sure that he, uh, gets in touch with those guys. Uh, but that is an amazing show as well. So yeah, two plugs for the price of one. <laughs> there you go. If you don't, if you don't get enough fill on your show, they can, can they can continue Jackson trades as a second stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, as is the, the policy on big nerdy questions, as our special guest, Greg, you have the honor of providing us with a big nerdy recommendation, <laughs> and it is something that also involves aliens like X-Files. What is it? Yeah, it felt super appropriate the moment I saw one of the episode titles um, for for this. I was like, oh, well, I got my rec. It's uh, the XCOM series, uh, X-COM. It's uh, humanity trying to stop alien invaders. Um, I, I There's a bunch of iterations. It's actually kind of an older series that was rebooted. Uh, but I played, I'd highly recommend XCOM Enemy Within and XCOM 2. They just dropped the expansion War of the Chosen, which is pretty impressive. Uh, it's almost like a new game. And uh, the games are just really, really fun, really challenging. Um, it, it's actually made by Firaxis. They do Civilization. And um, it's, it's squad-based combat, turn-based, and incredibly frustrating and fun. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, there's so much you can describe, and I, I would waste a ton of time. But just check them out. <laughs> Look at the reviews, look at the screen grabs and videos, and see if it's your kind of game. But they're definitely fun and challenging and very rewarding. If you like tactical combat and a great science fiction story, it is your yeah. kind of game. Yeah, it's very dark and very, very depressing. <laughs> like some of our episodes of The X-Files, but not the ones we're talking about tonight. So now it's time for me to reveal what our big nerdy question is for the episode. Because with the X-Files, to talk about the whole series in one episode wouldn't do the X-Files justice. We have now 10 seasons. We're getting an 11th in January. Yes. Uh, but we couldn't do the whole series. And the first inclination, obviously, is to discuss the aliens and the mythology. But it's so complex and so convoluted that if you haven't watched every single episode of the series, you might not be able to pick up on the nuances Hell, Lee and I have watched every episode multiple times and are still get lost on the mythology of the uh, of the series. So we decided to focus on something completely different. Uh, the X Files was known for its Monster of the Week episodes and how some of them were incredibly scary, but how others were incredibly funny. Maybe some of the funniest episodes put to television on any series, but really funny when you consider that the rest of the series is so dark and gritty. Uh, so. For our Halloween special, we're going to be discussing what are the funniest episodes of the X-Files. And so we went through onto Reddit, oh ye, oh awesome site you, and found on the X-Files Reddit page a list of every episode of X-Files considered to be a comedy. We narrowed it down <laughs> to a, a watchable list, and we're going to discuss some of those episodes on uh, this uh, 
episode of B&Q. Now, these episodes are not mythology heavy, so if you haven't watched all of X-Files, if you're going through it right now, we're not really going to spoil the mythology arc or big character things in this episode. So don't worry about that. But, as is per usual, we are definitely going to spoil the hell out of the episodes we're going to be talking about. So if you hear a title of an episode you haven't watched yet and you don't want to have it spoiled, you might want to skip forward a few minutes. Uh, uh, but if you've seen it already, you can join us in reminiscing about some of these classic tales of Mulder and Scully. Classic is definitely uh, one adjective to describe these. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think what we're going to do, we're just going to go in, in random order picking episodes. And I think I'm going to let Lee start us off. And Lee, I know that one of your uh, episodes that stands out is Bad Blood. So can you tell us a little bit about Bad Blood? It is. I love Bad Blood. It's a, um, a story told from the two different perspectives. Both Mulder and Scully are reflecting back on an incident that happened where it appears that Mulder has killed an innocent pizza delivery boy um, with a vampire twist. I really, really, really love the way that Bad Blood was done. Yeah, Bad Blood is one of the funnier episodes because of the how you, we see multiple scenes from the different perspectives. So contrasting like how Scully does an autopsy, how she per, how she perceives doing an autopsy, versus how Mulder perceives she does an autopsy. That's one of the most iconic scenes in the, where she's just throwing intestines on the on the board, like weighing it. Uh, nah, nah, nah. Uh, and, of course, you have the, the Hick Sheriff character. Luke Wilson. Yes, Luke Wilson in one of his best roles to date, <laughs> where he is portrayed <laughs> as a hillbilly by uh, Mulder, but as a very competent official by Scully, who may think, who maybe has a little crush on him. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Mulder thinks he has enormous buck teeth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of that entire episode, though, and I can rewatch this over and over again is Mulder laying on the floor of the hotel room, drugged, singing the Shaft yes. <laughs> theme song. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. I don't know why it was even thought of as appropriate or who envisioned that, but it's 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 truly it's truly great. It is an amazing moment <laughs> of television. Uh, there are certain moments in this show where Mulder ends and David Duchovny just starts being himself. And I feel like singing the Shaft song on a hotel room floor is something that David Duchovny himself would do. Uh, <laughs> it's a classic moment of the show. Uh, the whole episode is so well constructed. And you'll see with a lot of these humorous episodes, it's not just a standard Monster of the Week. There's some sort of gimmick which makes it a little bit different. And this one is the different retellings of the same event. Uh, and as is the best comedy, you look at some of the classic sitcoms like Three's Company, Frasier, Friends, some of the best comedy comes from misunderstood situations where things are a little bit off kilter of what you would expect, and they use that to a great effect in a lot of these episodes. Mm -hmm. And another one that I think does th this very well, I'll toss it over to Greg to discuss the iconic postmodern Prometheus. <laughs> that, that episode was a lot of fun for me. Um, I, I work in the film industry. I'm actually a cinematographer, as pretentious as that sounds. So, you know, Self-congratulatory backpack. And um, the that was a... Uh, as y'all know, y'all were very flexible with this. I never... I, mean, I probably saw you know X-Files when I was younger, but I really never watched it that much. And so I kind of came into this blind 
knowing that this was going to be campy and silly, like knowing these episodes were going to be different, but I was not prepared for this. Uh, <laughs> the, the opening, like, let's, let's, I mean, you can't talk about this without immediately share. I mean, yes. Jesus Christ, that was absurd. <laughs> and I read some stuff after and apparently she seriously regretted not cameoing in this. Yes. Um, but yeah, the whole, like it was, it was this, this way they were telling the story was so bizarre and, 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 the it didn't is not as much like with uh, Bad Blood as you were saying. I think one of the other episodes does more of that retelling different perspectives, but in this one it's like it's just Frankenstein. The entire visual style it's it's super wide angle shots like really isolating people in these awkward wides where they're almost having to look into the camera. You've got this super dark and contrasty. There's thunder and lightning every opportunity they can. It, <laughs> it was it was hilarious. Like any time it's like it's like it's an abomination. Unto science. <laughs> it's, just, it's just any chance they can. And, you know, literally a torch mob. I mean, there's just so much you can talk about. The the creepy diner scene where everyone, they always, they do that slider where they're just moving across everyone's faces and every day their reaction to Mulder's different. <laughs> like, it feels it just, almost like David Lynch made that scene. It really is. It's got that really awkward uh, kind of Twin Peaks-y feel at times. But if you look at, like, if you grab the old Frankenstein film from, uh, oh God, what was that? Thirties. It's like, it really is like the, the visuals to all these like hard lights, popping them in the face to give them that horror. Like, and then a monster just very, <laughs> you can, you can just hear like spooky in the background the whole time. I swear. <laughs> well, and I think they may have designed the monster to have two faces so they could do that. Like light shadow reveal a couple times. <laughs> I know, seriously. It was like, I, 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 yeah, that was that was definitely something they liked to doing. Also, real quick, I have in big caps in my notes here, I put, why are they running around in the mystery gas? That is not professional. Like, they see a tank <laughs> yes. building, it's a mysterious smoke and a woman unconscious, and their idea is, not only are we going to split up, but I'm going to just run through this noxious fumes that I, do not, I cannot recognize. I was like, okay, guys, come on. Like... <laughs> I was a little – I'm not trying to, like, be, like, the plot hole guy and trying to, like, point every little thing. But I was watching that going, come on, you're FBI yeah, agents. I, I was doing that, too. I was like – there's moments throughout the whole series where we're like, why are you doing this? But yeah, especially like, that one's like, what the hell? I know you mentioned that, Lee, when you read the episode, that scene when they're going in with Gypsies, Trance, and Thieves playing. And they're like, why are they going into this covered house? This is crazy. Also, uh, why does that music make that so scary? The share, the share music combined so with the fumigation tent is really kind of alarming. <laughs> you have to Every admit, take right. I mean, it's like it's like how that song can be super, super creepy, stalkery, depending on context. Like if you put every breath you take in that, it would have been the same, right? I just think a lot of the '80s they they really misjudge romance with creepy, <laughs> and maybe maybe that's just me. I don't know. I'm sure someone's gonna write hate mail to you directed at me, uh, but it's okay. <laughs> just, I'll forward it on to Rumor Flies. No, uh. Uh, Oh god! No, it's, uh, it's it was that whole thing, like all the smoke everywhere all the time, and like it's just like, what's in the fog? Oh, what's in here? Ah, creepy! Ah, it's just <laughs> and the music, the music got super circusy during the barn scene. That was really unsettling. And two FBI agents are just standing there, slack jawed, like, well, I guess there's a lynch mob here to destroy him. <laughs> <laughs> Just in there. They're not doing anything about it. I'm like, what are they doing? Shouldn't you be getting a hold of the situation? Like, what? They're just like, they literally turn. I remember, I can see it. The Bob is running by them. They literally just turn around and watch them. I'm like, what are 
federal agents. <laughs> they just kind of like, yep, this is what happened to Hicksville, Hicksville, you know? Yeah, I mean, the X-Files' scariest take on Hicksville is the episode called Home that shows mm-hmm. what happens when inbreeding goes way too far. And I won't spoil the whole episode, but they're f- one of the relatives ends up living under a bed under like wooden plank. Anyway, it's the only episode Fox would never re-air because it was that graphic. Mm. So when X-Files takes on Hickville in serious tones, it gets dark quick. Yeah, they well, did something the... totally different with this. I love Jerry Springer in this episode. That was so <laughs> They actually obtained Jerry Springer. Is Jerry Springer coming to town? <laughs> and they're like, we shouldn't stereotype. And the show proceeds to just stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> it's Crap. very meta, which a lot of these episodes are meta. This is meta humor. It's like, we shouldn't do this, and we're doing it. Because they try to avoid a lot of these horror tropes in the other episodes, but they went yeah. all in on this one. They oh, just did yeah, not care. The, the, Oh god, it was the, again the torch scene. Like, there's the closest of people like get the monster, Rah! you know, like. <laughs> and for a show that usually tries to provide very scientific explanations for the paranormal, they did not give me a satisfactory explanation as to how a spliced chicken human would produce a well-functioning reporter. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, yeah, I, I, I was even with them kind of spoon feeding what was going on. Um, to the point where I remember Mulder literally saying like, like, oh, Doctor Frankenstein, like, 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 as if somehow the audience hasn't picked up that's what you're going for. You're literally <laughs> going to refer to the guy as Doctor Frankenstein. I'm like, oh, got it. Well, the the <laughs> the writer of this episode is Chris Carter, who's the creator of the whole series, and he also directed it. Chris Carter is a genius in many ways, but his writing, especially in his dialogue, can be rather ham-fisted. Oh, yeah. And that definitely comes across. You can tell this was not written by, like, Vince Gilligan or Darren Morgan. This is a quintessential Chris Carter episode. It's Chris Carter does funny instead of dark stuff with the mythology, but it's definitely Chris Carter. The style kind of worked for him, though. I always sort of forget he wrote that, even though I, I know it. I forget that it was him. It worked for that episode. Because it works for that. The heavy-handedness actually well, that, works. That, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Oh, I, no, it, just, it just made me think of that line. They go, why would you do that? And I literally mouthed it along, because I can. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I really sat there and I'm like, oh, I know where this conversation's going. <laughs> Jurassic so, Park, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish it would have come out a few years later because then they could have used Cher's Believe as Mulder's theme song. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, but we'll take it from one parody of Frankenstein to another parody of, uh, well, let's see if I can do this and without copyright infringement so I can do it with, like, ten seconds. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when Mulder and Scully come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. Uh, my first episode we're gonna talk about is x of an angel. <laughs> uh, so... They actually start this episode with a warning. The following is a special episode of The X-Files. Viewer discretion is advised. And you're like, oh my god, it's going to be worse than home. And then the cops theme song kicks in. And you see Scully with her face covered because she's embarrassed by the camera. And you know you're in for the strangest 45 minutes uh, of The X-Files run. Even stranger than postmodern. The whole episode is filmed like a cops episode. And it was are, excellently done, too. They did a really very good job. It excellently done. It feels like, it really, truly, organically felt like these cops came across Mulder and Scully in the investigation. Yeah. They had them using language like F-words that bleeped out like on cops. Uh, uh, so 
Well, Officer Wetzel sold it for me. I think yes, his he character, he sells it. Like, that. he made it feel like Cops. I mean, that really felt like an episode of Cops. Weird, strange things happen on a night of a full moon. Oh, yeah, man. He was great. <laughs> like, he was just, I, I liked his character a lot. I, I really enjoyed him. I love his female supervisor. She's like, yeah. what the bleep are you doing? Yeah, are she's just like, you're all serious? idiots. Why, what is it? A werewolf? Shut the like, like, she's, just like, she's just like she's like I am not gonna listen to this nonsense. Like uh, we have great. a sketch of the uh, criminal. It's Freddy Krueger. It's Freddy. Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it starts out so blatantly funny, and this is gonna be a whole funny episode. And then the sketch artist gets mauled, and, and like a doctor hemorrhages and dies. And yeah, like, and it's like, like, it's oh my like, god. Like, it is really violent and bloody. Yeah. <laughs> they never veer from their cop's tone. Whoever was in charge of pulling that together and making that seem, the direction was perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it really does seem like an episode of Cops. Oh, yeah. It was very convincing. I'm, I'm so attached to that episode. I was reading about that episode, wonderful. too. Apparently, he'd been pitching it for years, and they just kept saying no. They kept saying no. Why and, would you say and no And when to it got this? towards the end of the show, they decided, fine, all right, you can experiment because we're wrapping up the show in the next season or two. So they, like, they, they allowed him towards the end to finally do it. But, yeah, I was reading it. Like, he'd been pitching it for since, like, the third season or something. He just kept going, like, we got to do a cops thing. We got to do a cops thing. Season seven is, you know, the company's last full season. They do a lot of experimentation in season seven. Mm-hmm. Some of it very bad, like the Kathy Griffin Fight Club episode. But some of it is very good, like X-Cops, and another episode we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, yeah, X-Cops stands out so much because, like with Postmodern, like with Bad Blood, it's a gimmick episode. Uh, it's not your typical Monster of the Week with some jokes thrown in. It's a completely different hour. Now, are these meant to be canon? Because I kind of get the impression these are very much like one-offs, almost in like a comic book sense. I I wasn't like. I I, I mean, I do believe. Well, I mean, with things like the postmodern Prometheus, did that even happen? Was it just a comic book? Yeah, just a comic sketch at the Um, end. With X Cops, yes, I believe that did happen, Um, Mm -hmm. and I believe that most of the comedic episodes are meant to be canon whether or not people were really understanding what was going on um characters i mean were understanding what was going on is another thing but i do believe that x cops is canon that's a real monster that they're dealing with even though it's just iterations of people's fear which i secretly believe the monster also got molder because his fear was that they weren't going to catch the monster on camera and they didn't right they did not. Well <laughs> it's done. It's very sad for him at the end. I think you're right. She's so embarrassed by him, and he's so eager to bring some sort of scientific thing forward here, and you do not get any monster on camera. That's you a very good observation. Or whatever. I didn't even occur to me. It's because I just kept thinking of his MO as murder, but that's true. That's like, for him, it's like almost as if the... That's almost worse than death to him. It's just like everything's not real. No one believes him. He wanted to see further. it. it, can, it maybe it got to Scully, too, because her greatest fear is being not being able to yeah. explain something. Uh-huh. And then that, mm. the woman dies of the hantavirus when there's no way she could have contracted the hantavirus. She was panicking the hell out of that scene. Exactly. So maybe it got Scully, too, because her biggest fear is not scientifically understanding what's going on. Like, there's no way that lady has the hantavirus, and yet... When she doubts medicine, is her she's out... So maybe it got to them too, but they don't have the mortal fear because they've seen, seen so all. much by that point. And just for oh context, you know, we've seen by this point, we've seen people who can morph into other things and take psychological forms. So 
within the canon of the show, it is not this monster is not that outlandish. Can, Although, can we just? Oh, sorry, guys. It's it, right? I mean, this monster is it. Mm, mm. I mean, because that's what it is in the Stephen King book and the yeah. movie. It is the monster that assumes whatever fear, you're, whatever you're most afraid of, especially mm-hmm. in the book. It's not just a clown. The clown's only a small portion in the book. It's a clown. It's a spider. It's a murderous father. It's an abusive husband. It's uh, the strange house on the corner. It's a giant turtle. Um, but it it is whatever you're afraid of. Yeah, I I, I will say, man, I was I laughed so hard when she just turned straight to the camera before her friend dies in the you know the morgue dies in bloody yeah. horrible mess and just goes. Because the FBI has nothing to hide. Just, <laughs> I, that <laughs> grin she had, I just couldn't contain myself. I just, I mean, I, I was, I was, I just was like, for she's just so deadpan, and I just, I loved it. I know it's like it's kind of an easy joke, but at the same time, like so well done. I was, I was in stitches. It's really well put together. Like I, Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny probably had a lot of fun doing that episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just so funny. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Mulder trying to get to Wetzel when he's being attacked by the wasp man thing. Dude, he's like literally shaking the door handle, shoving it like, it can't get you. And this guy's screaming like, oh, my God. And it's like, like I'm like, dude, kick the door. Yeah. Kick the door. <laughs> kick the door. Stop pushing it. Stop pushing it. I'm like, like it goes over like 30 seconds. I'm like, holy crap, there's a dude screaming for I his life there. I wonder if that was a, like the door didn't break on his first kick and he kept trying to do it and it was like a an outtake they kept in just because it was so funny. Yeah, it was like the most pathetic rescue attempt i ever seen. And like, again, like with the torch thing, it's just Scully's just kind of standing there like, yep, this is a thing that's happening. Like, <laughs> There's a wasp man in there. It's not a problem. I, I, totally, you know what? It, um, it's not Hantavirus. That's, I, I can confirm that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't a pun in there where Mulder says like something along the line of, along the lines of, "Wow, that must have stung." Oh God! Oh Josh! Oh, which okay. is a good segue to another episode that I'll, I'll let Lee talk about uh, because in this episode Mulder says one more pun and I'll kill you. Oh yeah. Uh, um, and which is I'd be dead because as our listeners know I I pun all the time and Matt has threatened to kill me. Thankfully we usually record remotely so he doesn't have the chance. But I'm referring to the other season seven crazy episode Hollywood AD. Uh, so Lee, if you would take us through what you thought might have been the best series finale, if it would have been the finale. So as a as a long suffering and deep loving X Files fan, <laughs> upon reflecting back, I always sort of wished that Hollywood AD was the end they that they had just walked off at the end of Hollywood AD to go have dinner and those zombies would dance and and that's it no more X-Files I actually would have been okay even though I'm <laughs> like wildly excited for season 11 coming up so I probably shouldn't say that it's such an interesting episode um the premise behind it is interesting the the Lazarus bowl that can record the voice of Jesus, maybe. Also the Beatles, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> and uh, their, their suspension from the FBI and the perspective of Hollywood on what their relationship was like and what they are like as people. Um, David Duchovny's wife at the time, Taylor Scully, <laughs> in the I movie. I think Taylor only has a crush on you. 
And the the scene where um, I really love the scene they're all in the bathtub taking phone calls. Yes. Bubble bath, all three of them. And uh, Skinner's Skinner. the only one that's honest and says he's in a bath, and the other two are like, <laughs> and they're in a bath too. He's in the bath. We're all in the bath. They've gone Hollywood. Um, that's it's it's an interesting episode. That one was written by Duchovny, correct? I believe so. I think so. that's true. Um, and I do I do think that he's he's a, he's a pretty good writer. Um, I really like the nat- the unnatural, which he did with the yeah, baseball episode, uh, that, the that's Negro really, Leagues. That's, that's a really, really good, beautiful episode as well. Um, but I really thought it would have been, and maybe, and lots of people would fight me on this. Actually, I've fought my brother on this before. Um, I do think it would have been a good place to stop. It, it really encapsulates a lot of the feel of the episode of the, of the series because it's Mulder and Scully at their best together. It's a mystery that isn't really solved, but it makes you think. And, and and honestly, the 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 half the first half of the plot that's focused on the religious mystery isn't all that funny. It's extremely, you know, thought provoking. It can be scary at times. The scene when the phone's going off in the crypt and it's not none of them in the crypt. Yeah, that's really and scary. It's really scary. And they honestly could have done a whole episode on the O'Fallon and Hoffman characters because it's very interesting with the dynamic between the cardinal and the radical. <laughs> And how they're archetypes of different ways. And I love how Scully says, well, they're Roadrunner and Coyote. They're always chasing each other. Uh, but it gets really funny. The, the, the cold open is strange and hilarious. Cigarette smoking pontiff. When the, and the Hollywood scenes with Scully and Taylor running back in heels back and forth while Shanling's trying to get, uh, how does Mulder stand? Uh, <laughs> is very funny. But the middle isn't. The middle is actually a really well-done Monster of the Week, not Monster of the Week story. It's not really a Monster of the Week story. It's a, it's paranormal, but it's more about a, it's a character drama between these two men. Uh, it's really interesting stuff. But then, of course, it's taken for laughs at the end when the Lazarus Bowl, the fake Lazarus Bowl, turns out to be real enough to resurrect previously dead actors from vaudeville who like to dance on a set. Um, <laughs> it's a really odd episode but it would have been the perfect kind of coda for as odd of a series as x-files is and you're right Mulder and scully leave happy this is before all the william drama this is and i won't say more than that to spoil what that is referring to this is before some dark things that lay ahead for them in the next three seasons it would have been nice to have them walk off happy it's the last time you see them happy i realize that wasn't even a legitimate thing for me to wish for obviously you need to try to wrap up some mythology if you were going to end the show but I mean, can the mythology ever even be wrapped up? Probably not. Not going any further than that. It probably can't. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, but it is classic. Uh, I, my other favorite moment of that is uh, in the film that they make, after the characters of Scully and Mulder kiss, Shanling and Leone, she says, we can't do this. And, Mul- and Shanling's like, well, why not, Scully? And she says, I'm madly in love with assistant director Walter Skinner. <laughs> Which is, and Skinner looks over at them like, yeah. <laughs> and he's got a, a very beautiful lady with him at the movies who starts kissing, which is just amazingly hilarious. But I'll, I'll toss it back over to you, Greg, for our next episode. Uh, and this, Charles Nelson Riley from Match Game appears in what might be, we've got some contenders for Otis episode, but this one is just <laughs> out there. Pokemon from outer space. It is super frenetic. Like the 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 pacing, the whole episode is so odd and campy. Like first off, the I mean, we got to talk about the elephant in the room. The intro, 
I mean, Jesus yes. Christ. The really that... bad stop motion. Um, Lord <laughs> oh, my God. Go. And then, like, the I alien doing the, like, like, Joe, who's that? Or whatever the hell, like, the, the alien says. <laughs> like, whatever the hell says to him, I don't even remember. And then, like, basically all of a sudden we're in a, like, rape accusation story with, like, man- is it Manners? Detective Manners opens up being, yes. like, like, you know, only thing, only rape is going to happen is to you. Like, haha, prison rape joke. That's hilarious. And then, like, I mean, you're just, you're just going, like, Jesus Christ. Like, what is going, like, I really was very taken aback, to be honest. Not just in the sense of, like, we had this really campy, silly intro and then just, like, rape jokes. I was like, whoa, guys. Like, whoa. Yeah. Hit the brakes a little bit here. But mostly, I think it was to make manners look in sensitive i think and to be kind of that like i'm the tough guy cop i'm you know bad cop good cop right i don't know is that am i am i like way out of left field here what do y'all no, i think that you're definitely on the right track there's a a long track record of Mulder and scully to some extent not trusting the local authorities yeah because the local authorities always make fun of their work yeah so i think that it's it makes sense in the context of the show they also just played it for comedic effect because they bleep every swear and he swears in every sentence that he has. Uh, that in was the yeah, I did. I actually did appreciate that. I wasn't sure I felt it first as it kept going. I thought it was actually really funny. Like the you bleeping blank sure. Like it, it was from the Seth MacFarlane school of comedy. They did it enough to where it became funny. Right, right. And it's it's I I, I yeah I, I enjoyed that. And it, it, y'all were talking earlier about the writing and like I I wrote down I think I think I got the words right. It was only thing you experienced were raging hormones, you punk. I was like, gee, <laughs> like like you know, just he was just such a character. I was like, oh my god. And and there were just so many there were so many like little moments in it that had me raising my eyebrows. Were like. Can we talk about how leading in his interrogation Mulder is? Like, did you see blank and then blank and then blank? She's like, that's exactly what I saw. I'm like, that's that's completely like irresponsible interrogation. And Scully points it out. She's yeah, like, like, you were leading. Like, you were leading her like crazy. And then he's like, he's like, were they in all black? He's like, how did you know? Oh man, <laughs> took a while to stab in the dark on that one. Like, which and, is like, Jesse what? Ventura who gets in a backbreaker. We're just like, oh yeah, he suplexed the dude or whatever. He just like, yeah. smashed the ground. I was like, what the hell is going on? And then he's like, and then he tells him it's it's Venus, not UFOs. And I'm like, oh, I I wrote down Venus and UFOs, classic mistake. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and the <laughs> only person on X Files that I've ever met in person, Alex Trebek. Yes, that was actually really funny. And, <laughs> and I am also curious because he went to that guy's place, the uh the architect dude, uh uh no the guy who worked at the 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 power company, and. He basically gaslights him, right? He basically says her being like, makes him questioning like what he actually saw. And it looked like he was succeeding. The guy was starting to be like, well, maybe, you know, you can see in his face, he was starting to question what he saw. And then suddenly he goes, oh, by the way, if you tell me when I'll kill you. And you're like, dude, you just totally undid that like somewhat clever <laughs> gaslighting. I don't know. I just kept watching stuff where I was just going like, these people are acting very odd and making really weird judgments. <laughs> My just, favorite just, line of the uh, whole episode is in that scene though, where he's like, even your president, James Earl Carter, thought he saw a UFO, and then the guy says, "I'm a Republican." I was that was just like, yeah, I, 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 I chuckled. Oh man, sweet potato pie scene. <laughs> Mulder like, loves like pie. This really in the whole intense episode. dialogue about like dragging this guy, you know, and he's he's crashing a plane and gets dragged off by the military. It's like the other version. He was just talking some old dude between eating entire, <laughs> entire slices pie. of pie. <laughs> like, 
what is happening? <laughs> he ate an entire pie in this way. Mulder has oh, so three addictions. A sunflower seed, a pie, and porn. Uh, <laughs> so, and that... Uh, I just love that scene. I love the way they did it. It's really hilarious. And, uh, they have a penchant for diner humor, as we saw in Postmodern, Prometheus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and this is another episode. It's not from. It's not like Bad Blood, where it's totally different perspectives, but Bad Blood, you kind of know what happened in the end. This was like all unreliable narrators, it's yeah. all unreliable. No one has any freaking clue what happened to those kids that night. D- Lee, do you have any idea? No, and uh, even Scully's unreliable because she doesn't remember going to that room or being in the room with those guys or going to get ice or whatever. Um, mm. Everyone proves to be an, an unreliable yeah. narrator. You don't believe anybody that gets interviewed, the the kids, the linemen. Well, they made even, they kind of suggested it too. I don't know if I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel so clever here, but I'm sure y'all caught this. The um When he's talking to the author who's writing the book, Young, uh, or Chung, sorry. Is, is it, wait. It's Jose it's, Chung. Yeah. Jose Chung. Jose Chung, yes. So he, I remember he says to me, she was like, she's like, oh yeah, your book, The Calgarian Candidate. I loved it. And it's like the whole idea is it's Manchurian Candidate. I mean, I'm guessing that's what they're playing on, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. And so the idea of, like, you implant thoughts in people's heads and they go and act differently. And I just think this this whole episode revolved around the fickled nature of memory and unreliable narration and people either lying or duping themselves or misremembering or some combination where it's like – it's not like there's even a whole lot of malicious intent necessarily, um, although it looks like the government may have actually been doing some stuff. MK Ultra, every conspiracy theorist's favorite thing. Although there is some truth in it, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> the, um, the, but it just it it the whole thing was just lack of you know ability to get right information, no matter uh, how much people believe things or or are trying to be truthful. It was just I don't know, not like it's awe inspiring and new, but it was an interesting take on it, especially with so many characters and agents and people like all participating in this one narrative. Like there's so many components and it's eventually you're like yeah you just throw your hands up like i have no idea what happened but something happened <laughs> exactly and, and and warning for those who haven't seen all the episodes i'm going to delve slightly into the mythology here because the different views of aliens in this episode each version has been confirmed in its own way later on in the series a version of two aliens fighting over control of earth or fighting for good and bad is confirmed like four seasons later. A version where there are no aliens and it's just humans making the whole thing up was confirmed last year in season 10. Uh, so both versions are correct in their own way. Right. Which is very weird because that even... that it, Obviously, the, the mythology was not written to confirm or deny Jose Chung's episode. Right. But it just is funny that the way it turned out in the mythology... Both sides of this alien tale have plausibility within the X Files canon, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, any last thoughts, Lee, on on this episode? Jose Chung is just surprised after. Um, it really is. Watching it for the first time was an enormous shock. I even I don't remember watching the episodes for the first time, but I remember watching Jose Chung for the first time, and the whole time <laughs> being like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> I'm sorry, excuse me, because <laughs> it was yeah. so far beyond even vaguely humorous things they had done before. It was just such a completely different take, but yeah. it's 
I think I think it's really well done. And Jose oh. Chung is actually one of my favorite episodes, even though at the time I wasn't sure how I felt about it while mm-hmm. I was watching it. Yeah, I'm still pretty mixed on it. It, it was interesting, but it, like I will say, I really didn't like the pacing. I was very, I felt like I was kind of being throttled around throughout it, like just the the pace the episode and introducing characters really quickly and but um and a, a little the the trope of the the D and D nerd I was kind of like oh, okay but at the same time I was like yeah they're going for a campy episode I'll 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 roll with it you know the guy who's like I learned something from Courage we're playing D and D you know and, <laughs> what a great I, unintended pun D and D nerd I'll roll with it oh god <laughs> <laughs> well done well done I won't hit that one well um, played but, sir and I guess the only other little quick thing I. I what was with that scene at the end where she's like, love, is that all you men think about? I, I was very like, what was, is it just like she thinks he's just kind of an immature love struck kid or is it like she's mad and resents him and doesn't believe him? I, I wasn't sure how she felt about him anymore. I, I, I don't know. It was just kind of a, it's very look. weird. I think they were trying to make the point that, you know, within her character arc, which we don't really have, it, it, it was, to, I think they went for gravitas when they hadn't earned it with that moment because they were trying to make it seem like her alien encounter had made her realize she has to work to save the planet and become right. very serious. All and that social activism stuff on her wall. She had like exactly. green sheets and all but that then stuff. They, it allows Jose Chung or Charles Nelson Riley to deliver the line at the end like, no matter if we're alone or not in the universe, we can all be alone in our own way here on Earth. And much mm-hmm. more mundane concerns. So... Kind of like it's a it's a sad coda on an otherwise funny episode that even if you, all these questions are answered, you can still be alone. And, which honestly, at that point in the ep- in the series, is sort of a good metaphor for Mulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, because well, yeah, Mulder, the Baker thing at the end with him. He's yeah, because uh, Mulder alone in his apartment. <laughs> alone in his apartment, and, and you know you'll see this again in my next episode in season four. But Mulder. Scully is his only companion, and Scully, it's it's even, it's not yet, it's close, but it's professional still at that point. Uh, it's, Mulder has been brought to the brink where he trusts nobody, maybe the lone gunman and Scully, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. And his family's all had some problems at this point. His father is dead at this point, so it's, he's in a situation where he's finding out more of the truth than he ever thought he could find out. But he's more alone than he ever has been. It's not improving his situation. No. So I, I don't know if that was the intent of that line, but it certainly felt like to me that was like a, this is where Mulder's at right now mm-hmm. kind of line. I mean, also, X-Files loves to do monologues that provide the moral, quote-unquote, of the story. Uh, that's one of Chris Carter's biggest tropes, but he has his other writers do it too. Typically, it's Scully or Mulder writing up the report on the case. Uh, but in this case, it was Jose Chung since he was the writer. But the next episode I'm going to talk about actually does have the same sort of monologue. I believe it's from Mulder at the end. But it's Darren Morgan's probably quintessential episode, and it's called Small Potatoes. Um, not Yeah, right? Isn't that Darren Morgan? I don't know. He's I, in it. Yeah. I think it might be Vince. Oh, it's Vince who wrote it. Darren's in it. Sorry, I apologize for my confusion. Darren's yeah. in it. Don't quote me on that, though. But Darren, uh, Darren's the star. Yes, Darren's tale. the star of it. Uh, <laughs> he's the star of the tale. Ha! Ha! Well done. Uh, and Small Potatoes is... It starts out with a baby born with a very long prehensile tail, which can happen, but then you find out that 
this whole town has had five babies born within the span of two months who have tails, which is beyond the laws of genetics. It's impossible unless something very weird's going on. Uh, and then the newest mother says that the, the father is Luke Skywalker. And, the, and they're like, what the hell's going on? And then she's like, well, maybe Luke's the father of all five. Which leads them down the rabbit hole where they find a janitor, played by Darren Morgan, who had a tail <laughs> removed, who is the father of all five. And in the other four cases, uh, he, he is the monster of the week. And his ability, which you find out about halfway through the episode, is he can change his face to be anyone else. So he assumes Luke Skywalker. He assumes the role of Luke Skywalker, but also assumes the role of the husbands of the other four women, and becomes the father of these men who had motility issues and had been. And that's why that he even knew about it because he was a janitor at a fertility clinic. Um, so they play it for laughs because he assumes Mulder's identity. And then the last, the third act, the final act of the episode, he tries to make a pass at Scully and succeeds, well, almost, sort of, yeah, almost, uh, with some wine and some stories. Um, they play the whole episode for laughs. Um, you know, the tales are kind of taken as a weird thing. His last name has a silent H that he's obsessed about, Van, uh, Van Blunt, but with an H in it. <laughs> But, so, it's usually considered one of the funniest episodes of the series because of the humor throughout. However, I bring it up right after Jose Chung because the elephant in the room for this episode is, he's a rapist. He takes over these people's bodies, and so the women might not know they're being raped at the moment, but he's a rapist. And they even say so, Skinner says so in the episode. So I'm interested to see, Lee, what your take is on this episode, because it is so iconic and so funny, but also has that very problematic part. Right. So it wasn't something I thought about the first time I saw this episode. I was probably maybe 15 or 16 years old. But upon mm-hmm. further rewatches, um, the episode has made me slightly uncomfortable over the years. I enjoy Darren Morgan's performance so much. He's great. I mean, he's he's just wonderful. And I, I think they actually even wrote that role for him. But the premise, I feel like, he, I mean, he goes to jail for this, and this is bad that he's done this, but I feel like almost nobody acknowledges how really, really bad that is. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's, 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 I can still watch the episode, I, the, and the episode is still funny. There are still definitely funny parts to that episode. Um, and the girl who, I, I don't know the actress's name, but the girl who plays the first woman they talk to, the one that says the father is Luke Skywalker, she's so funny. She's, yes. uh, she's very delightful. She's delightful. Um, but the, the episode does give me pause a little bit. And, and there's actually a couple of episodes like that. Um, Postmodern Prometheus Postmodern has the same Prometheus issue. has the same issues. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I kind of want to loop back a little bit at some point at the end because we mentioned earlier and then we never really got to it. Like, all these things in these comedy, they have so much about like women just like getting impregnated. Like not, it's like it's that it's that clinical. It's like it's 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 so you know it's like oh yeah this monster thing and I have a child. It's like wait whoa like twice and you're not sure how they feel about it. You're not sure what's like I don't know the the sexual just components are it's, it's like it's not even jarring. It's not even dismissive. It's it's I don't know. I can't describe it. it do you really do? It's 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 comedy with sexual assault in it and, and, and rape and you're just like jesus i don't i don't know it i don't know what tone they're going for i don't know what 
if it's matter of fact, if they're trying to get a rise out of you, or if it's tone deaf, I like to think X-Files being a smart show and creating a character like Scully wouldn't be tone deaf, but a lot of writing in the late 80s and 90s, you know, tried to deal with topics, and when you look back on them, kind of Sex in the City, right, was considered incredibly progressive, and you look at the stuff they do now, and you're like, wow, some of that's actually really offensive and terrible towards, like, the LGBT community or things yeah. like that. right. And it's, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, y'all know this show better than I do, so I didn't want to really start throwing stones having only watched four, well, three completely, uh, no, I didn't, yeah, yeah. anyway, having only watched a few non typical or atypical episodes. So what, what's y'all's takeaway from that? Lee, do you want to start with that? I don't feel like it's a running theme throughout the entire show. I do feel like for some reason, these two episodes, and maybe to some extent, which we haven't talked about a lot, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the mistaken identity stuff, it was the 90s. It's hard for me to reflect on exactly what the tone was in the 90s because I was a teenager. While you sort of know, it's you don't really know. Um, I don't think it's par for the course for the show as a whole. No. I think these Typically. episodes stand out for that reason, and it's they weren't intended to stand out for that reason. And another thing I have to consider, like you just mentioned, Greg, we actually had this discussion on our last week's episode when we had on Steve from the Oscar Watch podcast, because that, that podcast goes back and watches Oscar winners throughout the whole history of the event. And I asked him, how do, do you watch Oscar winners from like the 30s and 40s and not apply modern sensibilities to them? And we had a pretty good discussion about it's very difficult, you know, how do you watch a classic like Breakfast at Tiffany's and not find it racist? Yeah. Even though it's a classic film, you know, for example, you know. So in this case, like you said, Sex in the City was considered progressive for the late 90s, and there are things in there that are very anti-LGBT. There's like the gay episode, husband, gay best friend stuff was like, yeah, like really, if you look at it, you're just like, Jesus, this is like, ooh. I mean, there's an episode in season three, which is the same season as Jose Chung, where Mulder deals with a um, a monster that can gender bend, that can change its gender, and then kills people when they have when they go back to bed for the night. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not a very great episode, but it, it it's not for the '90s. It doesn't denigrate transgender people, but I wouldn't say it's perfect for today's standards. But for the '90s, it wasn't ludicrous. They didn't make any to my to my remembrance, I didn't want to watch it for this episode because it's a very dark episode. But they didn't make any outlandish, you know, horribly anti-transgender statements in that episode. Um, right. But we do know the X Files didn't have that many women, if any, in the writers' room. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there were any. I don't think there were any. So that could be, you know, one of the issues here. And I have seen some critics say that the X Files. Is, is is problematic in those cases and like for example there are a few episodes directed by Gillian Anderson where you can tell like critics have said you can tell that has more of a feminine sensibility to the direction and to the plot um obviously these episodes don't have that which is can be problematic and looking back on it I mean postmodern Prometheus is still a really great episode for what it was trying to do Jose Chung stands out for its, you know, for its risk taking. Small Potatoes and and Dreamland as well, which is the one with Michael McKeon. For those who don't or aren't aware of it, the two-parter where they switch bodies. Again, has same problems, same issues. 
Yeah, it's it makes it more problematic in a rewatch. You have to try to say, okay, it's a little bit different almost 20 years ago. Good God, over, over 20 years ago. Yikes. Uh, but at the same token, you can't just give it a total pass. You have to acknowledge that, especially in this episode of Small Potatoes and Postmodern, you're trivializing sexual assault. Those two might be the worst offenders, yeah. I yeah. think so. <clears throat> um, and it's just odd that it was treated as it was. I don't know if they had an episode that treated sexual assault in a more yes. serious well, manner. Well, it's not yeah. a great episode, but yes, the Excelsis Day. Oh, you're right. You're um, right. And they were very serious about that, um, the rapes that were occurring. And so, as as it's not a great episode, but they treated the rapes very, very seriously, um, even though these women were saying they were being raped by invisible people. Um so I don't think it, it was a complete inability to handle mm-hmm. the topic. I just think, I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, I can still appreciate Small Potatoes. It's, I mean, it can be a fun episode, but there's just so, there's some questionable themes. And it always themes. ranks in the top ten with people. Yeah. So it's, it's a beloved episode, but there are some themes that are problematic, just like with Postmodern. Right. Yeah. You know, so I, I want to run through a quick, since we're toward the end, I want to run through a quick uh, a list of honorable mentions that we're not going to do a full thing <clears> on. <throat> the first time X-Files really did comedy was in season two's Humbug, uh, which is uh, the classic with the circus. And uh, all I'll say is poor conundrum. He probably has a bellyache <laughs> after that episode. Uh, if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, well, as you mentioned, Dreamland, uh, it has some problematic themes, but Michael McKeon is one of the best comedic actors ever. And he plays it for total laughs when he switches with Mulder and the, and the and FBI. And it's two parts. It's a two-parter Highly comedy. recommended. Yeah, highly recommended. <laughs> uh, the Ghost That Stole Christmas featuring Lily Tomlin and Danny DeVito. Uh, obviously, with those two names, you're going to get some funny scenes. And it comes a year after the darkest Christmas story of the whole series, A Christmas Carol, uh, which features Emily. And if you know anything about the series, you know how dark that story is. Uh, with Emily, so they went totally different and did a funny episode, and it, it's pretty good. It stands out. And, of course, Ed, who's our, one of our regulars, he told me his favorite comedic episode is from last year's reboot, uh, from uh, Mulder and Scully Meet the Were Monster, uh, which is a classic funny episode. I mean, they went all the way on funny in that one, having Fox Mulder's head inside a stuffed fox, <laughs> as it, uh, making him wear the same Speedo as back in Season 2 in the hotel uh, Scully trying to seduce the were monster. I mean, it is a classic, weird, funny X Files episode, and with no problematic sexual assault themes. So good for them on that one. Um, but the, you know, there's a lot of episodes that stand out as hilarious. Uh, we have some of the online lists um, include Clyde Bruckman's final rep- uh, repose. Oh, yeah. I always feel weird uh, about people considering that a funny episode. I don't consider it a, a great funny... great episode. I consider it the best single episode of the whole series, as far as everything working it's together. It's perfect and beautiful, but it's I wouldn't It's beautiful, but I wouldn't consider it funny. funny. Peter Boyle... Has is, moments. Has, I think Peter Boyle should have won an Emmy for Best Guest Star for that role. Um, that was an amazingly well-put-together episode, but I wouldn't consider it a funny episode. Uh, it, it's got moments, but... Has yeah, funny moments, yeah. right. Uh, so... Tell us your other favorites as well. Uh, send us an email at bnqfeedback at gmail.com or tweet us at bnqpodcast. But we do have to answer the question at hand. What is the funniest episode of The X-Files? And I'll start with Gray from your limited uh, mm. uh, exposure. 
of the ones that you've seen, what is your pick for of, the funniest? Of this batch, I really, if it didn't get so dark and murdery, I loved X-Cops. I loved the style. I loved the homage it was paying. Um, they did such a good job, and it was clearly done by a group that like that really researched and went for a style and committed. Um, <clears throat> but I think as far as like funnier, like, the one with the Frankensteinian monster, Postmodern Prometheus, like, a party wants to hate it. It's, like, as far as, like, I don't know, it's just such an absurd, ridiculous episode. <laughs> and I'm surprised that, it, I guess it just shows the professionalism that they were all able to play that straight-faced. That was a funny, <laughs> that was, uh, I guess that one probably. His, like, monologue at the end, I was like, I get it. he's going for sweet and sentimental, but he's a ridiculous two-faced man. Like, <laughs> like, I didn't want to laugh at him, but I kind of was. I was like, haha, you're ugly. Like, it was terrible. It was a horrible <laughs> But it's because they made the whole thing comedic. It made me want to react that way instead of being, like, sympathetic, you know? <laughs> so I'll, I guess I'll have to lean towards that one as the Both funniest. Aside right, from the, you know, brutal murder of an innocent farmer. Yes. Uh, a vote for postmodern. Lee, what is your pick for the funniest episode of The X-Files? Um, my, my vote would probably be for bad blood. This is very hard for me. I'm one of those people that does not pick a favorite. And so if you actually asked me, I would say three or four different things, (laughs) but bad blood to me is, is always worth a, an excellent laugh. Um, it's how have y'all not started, how have y'all not saying that yet? Baby, we got bad. <laughs> Come on now. You're missing, you're missing golden opportunities I here. already used up my one singing chance for the cops theme. <laughs> just, just, I mean, just bad blood, even just for the scene where Mulder is being dragged around by the RV that I get circles and circles and circles <laughs> and circles. There's so many good visuals in that as well. It's a very visual, it's a very visual episode. Yes. Um, and just their frustration with the, at the very end when they're having to, they're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much pretty much pretty much pretty much much it was about like that um so that that would have to be my vote although i will have to tell so yeah i i agree it's very hard for me to pick i love bad blood um i i like pro and postmodern but i i laughed more in bad blood but the episode that i laughed the most in is x cops uh yeah it's just so so funny i love scully's embarrassment Mulder's eager this uh the, the two uh the sketch scenes were great the just everyone great. around them yeah. uh the two men who are uh, in a relationship they steal the show whenever they're on screen they're hilarious together it's like i'm gonna be on tv i'm gonna get pretty up <laughs> they start mean, singing as they're leaving yes that. it's so good <laughs> there's just there is a lot of darkness but that's x-files for you and they and i have to give that episode so much credit because they could have gone, because a few times in the series, they've had a buildup of a monster, and it turned out to be not a monster. It turned out to be something right. that was perfectly mundane. They could have easily done that in this episode. Very Scooby-Doo. Still, exactly, where they could have had just a, you know, a regular guy running around, causing mischief, and Mulder and Scully are just end up being there as hijinks. But they brought in an actual monster, and they created one that was perfect for this episode, because as Lee found out, which was an amazing observation, it got Mulder too because he never showed up on camera. Uh, so that's an amazing, you know, it was so smartly written yeah. by Vince Gilligan, who of course did Breaking Bad. So of course he's going to be a great, smart writer. Yeah. So I love, the episodes are all great. They have their problems. But X-Cops doesn't really have a problem to me. It's, it's scary. It's funny. 
the yeah, it, it works, works on a lot of levels for me. It works on a lot of levels, so I think it's the I think Bad Blood might be a better overall episode, but I laugh so Ooh, much I more at X Cops. So I've got to give it to X Cops. But that means we've got three different picks, which means really the audience is going to have to tell us what's the funniest episode of the X Files. So like I said, email us at bnqfeedback at gmail.com or you can send us a tweet at bnqfeedback uh, or sorry, at bnqpodcast uh, and we will be happy to hear your thoughts on this one because we know the X-Files with a PH are out there uh, and they will be able to tell us what is the funniest episode. Uh, but Greg, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great having you on and Rumor Flies is an amazing show that everyone should oh, check out. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, we, you we... guys really do a lot of hard work on that show and they have a Patreon too. He didn't plug it, but I'll plug it for him. Uh, I felt like I was already overdoing it. I appreciate um, that. They yeah, have a Patreon you. and if you go fund them on their Patreon, they'll actually go do research uh, on site. So they will go and travel and do investigations at the sites of these urban legends. That's so, awesome. Uh, you should go fund that Patreon if you can, uh, because they're going to put a lot more hard work into this show than I ever could in this one. <laughs> no, no, we do hard work on this show. I'm just kidding. But they do really real research on there. So Wouldn't be here if your show didn't uh, uh, exhibit some work <laughs> and effort. I, I think I'll do a great show, and uh, I, I appreciate the kind words and love that you, you know. Th- thank you. Thank you. It's really fun to be here and uh, appreciate all the kind words about Rumor Flies. Oh, for, of course. And Lee, thank you for coming on X-Files. Hopefully when we do X-Files again, maybe the mythology will join us again. I will 100% join you again. And uh, I have the distinct pleasure, since Matt is not here, of dispatching with the abomination. No, not the great Mutato. It's time to kill the Gungan! Yes, you see, (laughs) Jar Jar Binks was holding himself up inside a barn watching the Jerry Springer show talk about the top ten craziest aliens. When all of a sudden, a torch mob showed up and decided that he needed to die. Mulder and Scully showed up and said, you know what? I'm okay with this, pretty much. And the torch mob burned the Gungan, and they all had him as roasted barbecue, Texas style. (laughs) Gungan death by torch mob in the postmodern Prometheus. Jar Jar is dead once again. (laughs) Woohoo! And And the world celebrates. Yes, and the world celebrates yet again. Uh, so for Greg and Lee, this is Josh signing off on our Halloween special. <laughs> uh, we'll see you again next time in Big Nerdy Headquarters. Trust no one. <laughs> Music.